Well, can I thank Chris for uh, leading us in our worship today, and can I thank you all for tuning in, wherever you may be, whether it's in Dundee or beyond. We trust that we'll know the Lord's blessing as we come to look at his word, and let's bow our heads in a word of prayer before we come to God's word. Lord God, we acknowledge our need of your light to shine into our hearts. We need you to be our guide. We need you to lead us. We need your Holy Spirit to enable us to enter into your word and to have fellowship with you. May that be true just now, Lord, as your living word is in our, uh, in our vision and as we consider some things from it. Lead us, we pray, and guide us. In Jesus' name, we humbly ask. Amen. I'd like to thank uh, Chris for reading this chapter in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'd just like to look at one or two things from it uh, so that we can learn. And with particular reference to relationships that uh, are brought to our attention uh, within a family here and with others outside the family of Elkanah. Uh, the first and second books of Samuel are, uh, in fact, one book uh, in ancient Hebrew manuscripts. And uh, the setting of uh, the book historically is very much the same as what we read uh, at the end of the book of Judges. I think it's important to have that context before us. The very last verse of the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the spiritual temperature of the time was uh, rather low. But here we have... Uh, a narrative given to us of what was going on. Uh, it was part of God's sovereign plan, and we're introduced to a man uh, who is called Elkanah. And he's referred to uh, as a man of Ramathaim Sophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroboam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. Uh, he wasn't a one of the tribes, uh, one of the members of the tribe of of, Levi, uh, of uh, Ephraim, he was actually a Levite, and we read about that uh, in First Chronicles chapter six, uh, verses sixteen onwards, where there's a list of those who belonged to the tribe of Levi, and Elkanah is mentioned among them. He was. Uh, uh, practicing big, uh, polygamy. We read here in verse 2 that he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina or Penina. Uh, uh, I was brought up to pronounce it Penina. I'm not sure, but uh, forgive me if I have the pronunciation wrong. Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So we have a, a very a dire situation brought into brought to our attention right at the outset here. Uh, let's just have a close look at this family. 
they seem to be a very religious family because uh, we read in verse 3 that this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts, Shiloh. Uh, that is where the tabernacle was, where the place where God uh, revealed himself. And what we read about that is that we have uh, two, uh, three other names given to us immediately at the outset, uh, two sons of Eli, who was the priest, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were priests of the Lord. Now, here we have a group of people, there's this family, and there are those who were ministering at the tabernacle. And uh, it's interesting uh, what used to happen there when Elkanah sacrificed. Uh, he had his wife, Peninnah, who uh, had children, but Hannah didn't. And the one, Peninnah, was not of a, a very uh, reputable character, shall we say. Uh, because uh, Elkanah had two wives, the situation in the family couldn't have been very, very harmonious. And uh, I'm sure in our own families from time to time, there is disharmony for one reason or another. But it seems here that Elkanah, although being a religious man, he seemed to be going against uh, what the Lord had laid down. Uh, polygamy at that time uh, was a, f a fact of life uh, in the ancient world and amongst the Jews. However, uh, the Bible never puts polygamy in a favorable light. And uh, that's a lesson for us uh, nowadays. It's uh, not just polygamy, but it's divided loyalties. Where are our loyalties and where is our commitment focused? In which direction is it focused? And inevitably, uh, problems arise from that situation. Uh, strife and conflict always seem to characterize uh, polygamous families in the Bible. And there was a, an intense relationship between the two wives, and it's little wonder that that took place. Circumstances arose such that tensions were created, and perhaps we could say that Elkanah was responsible for all of that. And he himself, therefore, had a problem to deal with. Yes, he was a religious man. He went through all the religious rituals of his day. But here we have a situation that really does challenge his religion, his dedication to the Lord, because there's a as it were, a, a dark cloud hanging over his head and his household. Polygamy, then, was not commended. And we find that uh, it's overlooked by the Lord in these early days. But uh, that's not the way God meant it. It was not so from the beginning, as Matthew 19 and 8 tell us. Uh, when we go into the rest of, of this uh, uh, chapter, and I just want to look down to, uh, if time allows, to the end of uh, verse 20, that uh, section, uh, we find that when they come to do this worship, 
this is where the problem seems to have arisen. I wonder what sort of setting did the family of Elkanah exist in, uh, in their home? Were there separate rooms for Peninnah and her family? Because uh, we're, we're told that she had children, she had a family. And we read on, in verse 4, on the day when Elkanah had sac- sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife. And then we, we read a little bit more detail about that family, the children, uh, to all her sons and daughters. We don't know how, exactly how many she had, but obviously she had quite a few. And in verse 5, this is the other side of, of the coin, as it were, for Elkanah. Well, he had to... Uh, a portion, part of what was a fellowship sacrifice at that time. Part of it was offered to the Lord, and part of it was eaten by those who were offering the sacrifice. He would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, to all his sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. She was childless, as we read in verse 2. It's very interesting how this came about. Was it the case that Hannah was Elkanah's first wife and she failed to have children by him? And of course, at that time, uh, a childless man without a son, uh, there was a stigma associated with that. But the situation wasn't very good. Maybe We don't know exactly, but it seems that uh, Hannah is the first of of the wives mentioned. Uh, She was childless, and then Peninnah is mentioned in verse 2, and she had children. So it may very well have been the case that Peninnah was Elkanah's second wife. And when we read about what is told uh, of Peninnah, uh, though the Lord had closed her womb, Uh, Peninnah didn't have any sympathy whatsoever for her. And that is what we find in verse 6. Her rival used to provoke her grievously, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, imagine that. That is uh, the epitome of callousness and cruelty and pitilessness and maliciousness surely coming through this woman who herself had been so blessed by the Lord, whether she recognized it or not, with a family of children. And it was recognized that children, of course, were a blessing to the Lord, to whoever the Lord gave a family. We read in verse, uh, in Psalm 127 that children are the heritage of the Lord. And we should be thankful if the Lord has given us children. We should not uh, grudge anybody else. Uh, If they don't have children, we shouldn't look down on them. But we should ask that the Lord would give the grace that they need uh, if that is what the Lord's providence is for them. Well, here we have it. Mysteriously, the Lord had blessed Peninnah, and yet she was... uh, Irritable, she was very uh, again, as we say, uh, this other wife of her husband. 
her rival, an interesting word that's used there. There was rivalry. This must have stemmed from the way the household was being conducted. There was, uh, you might say, in modern terms, a, a, a dis- it was a dysfunctional family because of the split that seemed to, uh, that did in reality exist because of the two wives. Her rival used, that's Hannah's uh, opposition, if you like, used to provoke her, provocation, deliberate malicious provocation to irritate because the Lord had closed her womb. That is why she was pointing the finger at her because she was lacking children. And it was almost, almost as if she was accusing, uh, as, my, as might have been at that time, that it was a judgment from the Lord that she was childless. She used to provoke her grievously. And what we read in verse 7 really tells us something. Regardless of what was going on over a period of 12 months, in the household of Elkanah. It was at this time of sacrifice, one of the three major sacrifices of uh, the religious year for them. It went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her, we read. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Is it of any surprise to us that Hannah's reaction should be what it is? Now, I don't know what it's like in your household, but sometimes when things aren't being done the right way, tensions arise. And even those whom we love most and those with whom we are closest to, we find uh, tensions arising, we find difficulties, friction, and so on and so forth. But this was blatant. And I wonder what was going through Elkanah's mind when all of this was going on day by day, and more so when they came to the place where these things ought to be very much set aside. Is it not the case that if we come to worship the Lord together as children of God, and sadly we're not able to do that, and perhaps looking at it in our present situation, we take it for granted that we can, uh, our freedom has been denied us in this COVID situation that we're in. And uh, sometimes we, we might come to worship the Lord with some sort of a grudge against somebody else and uh, not speaking to somebody else or something like that. And surely the Lord's displeasure must have been uh, in this situation, and it is as it is with us. If in my heart I sin regard, says the psalmist, the Lord will me not hear. It's a lesson for us. And, of course, this was, this was a human creation. Yes, God is sovereign in it all, and God was going to take good out of this evil that was going on. And it's sad that in God's providence that somebody like Hannah has to be taken, brought through this uh, anguish and this uh, situation that she's in. So as a family, they weren't doing very well. They weren't uh, coping 
with the situation at all. And Elkanah must have been at the end of his tether, wondering how on earth to deal with the situation. And we don't seem to read in the narrative that Elkanah uh, uh, made much to solve the problem. But we find uh, a few conversations taking place here. And one of the first conversations is that uh, Hannah is uh, conversing uh, to the Lord. Uh, We read in verse 12, she continued praying before the Lord. And we find uh, this, it's a conversation without any words being uttered, but very much so, it is a conversation. And the most sincere conversations are the ones that stem from the heart without any words being spoken at all. A conversation that is invisible to man, but is very much audible to the God of heaven, the God, of he, to the God who hears. We find uh, another conversation taking place here between Eli and Hannah. In verse 9, we read, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Now these seem to be uh, dark words. They seem to be heavy words. But it is amazing how we need, it's almost as though we need darkness for the light to be really appreciated. God said at creation, let there be light. And there was light. And God, in his dealing with us, in saving us, he shines into the darkness of our sinful hearts to bring to us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Jesus Christ. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord, and Hannah was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord. He didn't see this, but the Lord saw it. And that is where Hannah very dedicatingly comes to the Lord to pour out her heart. She was in deep distress and she was weeping to show it. And she, she prayed. And the interesting thing uh, that we read about here uh, when Hannah prayed was that uh, there were no words. We read that her lips did not move. She vowed a vow though. And she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant. The situation she was in had caused her to absolutely Pour out her soul. Lord, deliver me. Give me grace in this situation in which I'm in because I cannot help myself. Even my husband, who loves me so much, can't help me out of this situation. Only you can. You are the only one I can come to you. And there is a deep desire in her heart. One thing, she wanted this one thing to be blessed by the Lord. Remember, she vowed a vow, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. This is what I want. 
As son, Lord, if you are, if this is your will, I pray I'm absolutely asking you. It's almost in the sentiment of the psalmist in uh, Psalm 27. One thing I of the Lord desired and will seek to obtain that all days of my life I may within God's house remain. She's asking the Lord for a son and then she vows that she will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. It's almost as though she's speaking there. That is what she would do herself if she had been a male person perhaps. Because Serving the Lord in the temple at that time was uh, in the, the scope of the male uh, members of the religious setup of the time. We read that Eli was the priest and that Hophni and Phineas were serving. But it's as though, if I could, I would give, I would give you myself in that service. One thing I of the Lord desired... And will seek to obtain that all days of my life I will within God's house remain. And the psalmist goes on that I the beauty of the Lord behold me and admire. I I would like to see you above all things. And this is what I want for my son that he would serve you and give himself to you. And of course the child who was born Samuel was indeed dedicated, consecrated to the Lord. We read as a Nazarite, we heard about that in terms of uh, uh, the Nazarite uh, Samson last week from Hari. And we find that this vow she made, uh, Hannah promised her son to, to the work of the Lord, vowing he would be a, a Nazarite from birth. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. Typically, uh, apparently in the Old Testament, the vow of a Nazarite was taken for a, a set and rather short period of time. Uh, in the case of Samuel and Samson, they were unique because they were Nazarites from birth. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. It's a wonderful thing that when the Lord blesses us with children, that uh, we are enabled to give them to the Lord from the very word go in their lives. That the mark of the covenant of God is administered to them in baptism and that God will do what he will with them. But that, is, that was the desire of Hannah. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. The child was already dedicated as a Levite, as we heard earlier on uh, from the book of Chronicles in the genealogy of Elkanah, because God re regarded the tribe of Levi as his own special possession. But the time of a Levite's special dedication to the Lord only lasted from the age of uh, according to a commentator, the age of 30 uh, to 50. We read that from Numbers chapter 4. And Hannah took what she was uh, doing effectively, was taking something that had already belonged to the Lord as a Levite and giving it by promising him, 
promising to give him back again to the Lord in a greater way than for a period of time, for the whole of his life. And in the dedication, in the consecration of a Nazarite, uh, which, this was a much greater consecration than uh, of a, a Levite. What a wonderful thing we read here. This conversation between the Lord and Hannah was missed by Eli. He didn't realize what was going on. He thought that uh, the woman was under the influence of drink, having uh, been involved with, uh, with uh, the festivities, perhaps, of that time. We read in verse 12, uh, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And it's interesting what Hannah uh, says in reply. Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. He had jumped to the wrong conclusion as we so often do when we see certain people behaving in a different way, in some sort of perhaps unusual way. We, we tend to prejudge people, whether it's by the way they're behaving or their appearance or whatever. And we have to be very careful, I think. It's uh, very interesting that we're reminded uh, time and again in Scripture that it is uh, what happens in our inner being that is of most importance. Sometimes what is happening in our inner beings does make us act in accordance with our hearts. But then, because we're fallible human beings, we misjudge what we see. But the Lord sees the heart. Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. Don't you realize that I'm absolutely full of anguish? Here is a priest, or to be a pastor, and there's somebody that he's not understanding. He's not realizing her situation. And so often, those of us who are uh, in pastoral responsibilities fail to see uh, uh, and to recognize the needs of people, and we make the wrong judgments. I am troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. It's not wine she's been pouring. It's her soul she's been pouring. It's uh, an absolute giving of herself. This is the way I am, Lord. And only you are able to see it. No, Eli could not see it. He wasn't realized and it's very interesting, the word she uses in verse 6. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. Now, that word is very strong in the original language. It's actually used to describe the sons of uh, Eli in the second chapter. And at verse 12, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord uh, and so on. But that worthlessness was far removed from this woman, Hannah. I am not a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. 
all along I have been speaking out about my need, I wonder if she was actually speaking out verbally from time to time and poor Eli wasn't taking any note of her situation, of her dire need. But that is what she was doing silently before the Lord as well. I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. And it's very interesting that even with Eli's ignorance of what he ought to be doing, the Lord uses his appointed priest of the time to speak words of comfort to Hannah. She was in a really difficult situation, and Eli answered. And we have to believe that this is God speaking through Eli, whether Eli realizes that himself or not. Go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you petition, grant you petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. So Hannah had a conversation with the Lord. She had a conversation with Eli. And how different these conversations were. And how different... Uh, Eli's reaction to Hannah's uh, Hannah's behavior was. He didn't seem to want to have any uh, compassion with her at all. It's not the words of our prayers that matter. It's not the frequency of our prayers that answer uh, that, that matter. It's not how many words or how eloquent our prayers are that really matters at all. It is the sincerity of our prayers. Lord, save me, said Peter when he needed the Lord's hand, having jumped out of the boat and having begun to uh, to sink into the deep. So there we have the family of Elkanah and all the problems that were there. And we have the two conversations that took place. One, Hannah to the Lord in prayer, silent conversation, if you like, and the other conversation. And it's interesting that uh, in verse 19 we read, they rose early. But uh, before going on to that, there's there's been a transformation in the inner soul of Hannah because the Lord had spoken to her uh, surprisingly we might say through Eli she was no longer sad and her face conveyed that very mood you know sometimes uh, some of us find it difficult to smile some of us find it difficult to express Uh, what we have in the Lord in terms of our salvation. Perhaps it's not a free church thing to, to be smiling too much. I don't know. But I think we should look to the Lord. They looked to him and lightened were, says the psalmist again. Not shamed were their faces. This poor man cried, God heard, and him delivered from his 
distresses. That's what happened to Hannah here. And the Lord was speaking to her. Go in peace. The God of Israel, the covenant God, the faithful God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made, made to him. And here was, I believe she, be, she knew that her prayer had been answered at that point. And I want to draw uh, the sermon to a conclusion at this point here because I think there are huge lessons for us uh, to take into account here. First of all, we mentioned already the dysfunction that existed in the family of Elkanah. Well, I think although Elkanah was uh, erroneous in the way he was conducting the affairs of his household, he was trying, he was trying his best and he was seeking to honor the Lord in all that he did. And what we find is that the Lord took blessing out of all of this, even though there's this person called Penina who was so unlikable. You wouldn't want to have her as your pal, I don't think. In spite of all of that, it's amazing how the Lord can bring good out of bad, how he can bring virtue out of wickedness within a situation. And there is a mystery behind it all. Why is the Lord, why did the Lord allow Hannah to go through all of this suffering? Well, it's very clear to us from Scripture that this is the way the Lord works his plan of salvation through suffering, through the suffering of his people, right down through the, the, the pages of the Bible and ultimately in the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the suffering of our Savior who came to suffer, to be brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth, we read in Isaiah. But here we have Hannah, and I think something of Christ-likeness is being brought before us through her here in the suffering that she had, in the reviling that she suffered from uh, uh, the other wife of Elkanah. When she was reviled, she did not speak back. Does that not speak to us of a Christ-like character? How much patience she must have had, how much restraint she must have had to exercise in all that was going on. We're in a situation just now where our, our Christianity, our faith, if you like, is being tried and tested because of the restrictions that are being laid upon us. In some ways, we're being pressed into situations that we don't volunteer to be in. There are stresses and strains being created uh, by the way we communicate with each other. We, we Zoom day in and day out. And that in itself creates its stresses and strains. There is a, a, a mental strain on each and every one of us. And it is only the grace of God that is going to help us through all of these things. And we must look to him, as Hannah did, in our situations. Some of us may be at the end of our tether. And we're wondering, when are we going to get relief from all of this? But we thank God that he is the same. The same God who dealt with Samson and with Hannah and with Samuel and all the other 
patriarchs of the Old Testament and the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is the God who is able to save us, to reckon with our need and to meet with us at the very point of our need. Oh, it's good that things worked out for Hannah. Sometimes we have to wait for we don't know how long on the Lord and we need the Spirit of God to give us the patience we need to last day by day. It's only a day. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, we read in the Word of God. And it's little wonder that we ask God daily, give us today our daily bread, the bread from heaven, the bread who is the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of grace, who is able to help us at every time of need. Well, may the Lord help us and teach us as we have learned, I trust, a little from this narrative from the first chapter of First Samuel. Lord God, we give ourselves to you in all our needs, giving thanks for those who are brought to our attention in your word, fallible human beings as we all are, uh, in need, sinners in need of your grace. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would sustain us through all the circumstances that beset us, no matter what these might be. We pray for those today who are uh, in difficult situations, those who are pouring their souls out to God in heaven, and apparently there's no reply. Lord, may your grace be in their lives, and may they know that you are aware. The God who hears the silent voices of our prayers is the God who answers loudly and who is speaking to us in love through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear us and bless, we pray in his name. Amen.